0: Welcome to a non-fiction story cast about people in Seattle who built churches and how they did it. I'm Cindy Safranoff, I'm the author, and this is Dedication, Building the Seattle Branches of Mary Baker Eddy's Church, a Centennial Story. Episode 42, Primitive Christianity Normally, a church cornerstone is laid before construction begins for the walls. Fourth Church of Christ scientist did not follow the normal order. When they laid the cornerstone in 1922, the walls on the opposite side of the building, those facing the alley and the adjoining parcel, were already three feet above the second-story floor. Construction for the foyer and auditorium, the second unit, started in July, but they did not lay the cornerstone until the end of October. Perhaps the dramatically uneven wall construction, so out of sequence with the normal order for construction projects, was at least partly related to the delivery delay for the terracotta tiles. A fire in one of the kilns at the Auburn plant had slowed down the manufacturing, and some of the work on Fourth Church was being held up as a result. But the timing of the cornerstone ceremony, and the notice in the newspaper, may have been intentional, influenced by a desire to lay the cornerstone on a date of historical significance, even religious meaning. The cornerstone was laid during an unostentatious service at 8 a.m. on the last Sunday in October. Church officers gathered for a quiet ceremony on the sidewalk at 8th Avenue near Seneca Street. The focus of popular culture that week was on costume parties, pumpkins and black cats, ghosts and witches and the general mischief-making associated with Halloween. But Halloween was not the only holiday associated with the end of October. The last Sunday in October had special significance in Christian history. It was Reformation Sunday, a day commemorating Martin Luther's most important written work, his controversial commentary on ways Christianity had gotten off track under the leadership of the Catholic Pope. Luther nailed his 95 Theses to the door of the All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany, in protest on October 31, 1517. For this, Luther was branded a blasphemer and worse by church leaders. But to those who joined his Protestant movement, he was a Christian reformer. The end of October also had special significance in Christian science history. The very first Christian science church edifice, built in 1886 in Oconto, Wisconsin, was dedicated on Reformation Sunday. But the significance of the day goes back even farther to 1875. October thirtieth, the day after the laying of the cornerstone for Fourth Church, when it was announced in the Seattle newspaper, was also the anniversary of the first printing of Mary Baker Eddy's most important work, Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures. In it, Eddy began her chapter, Science of Being, with Martin Luther's famous words, Here I stand, I can do no otherwise, so help me God. Amen. Like Luther, Eddie was branded a blasphemer and worse by many Christian leaders. But to those who joined the Christian science movement, she was a Christian reformer. She protested the prevailing theology that caused Christians to think of Jesus' command to heal the sick, Matthew 10, 8, as no longer necessary or even possible. Her protest brought her some notoriety among Orthodox clergy, some of whom considered her teachings not truly Christian. An essay by Robert G. Reichert on the architectural style for Fourth Church, found in their historical files, explained that he believed George Foote Dunham's design was intended to represent church architecture of the 2nd century Roman style. The building expressed the spirit of Reverend Eddy's efforts to reinstate primitive Christianity and its lost element of healing. Reichert explained, The 2nd century was the great Christian healing era and Eddie's book embodied her discovery of original Christian healing. Reichert was an architect who had earned his master's degree in architecture at Harvard, had toured the great cathedrals in Europe, and taught occasionally in the architecture program at the University of Washington. He wrote his essay half a century after the fourth church edifice was built. On the day of the cornerstone ceremony, Reichert was only an infant in North Dakota. But since he moved to Seattle in 1948, he may have personally known some of the members involved in the fourth church building project. According to Reichert, Dunham's design was modeled after the Pantheon in Rome. The intention was to emulate this building style used during the New Testament biblical times when the followers of Peter and Paul began establishing meeting places for the Jews who were the primitive Christians and whose customs and practices at church meetings were assumed typical of Jewish practice to be focused on the reading of the scriptures as it was in Christian Science Church Services. It must be remembered, Reichert wrote, that the wonderful Gothic pointy arch-style buildings, which today are regarded as churchy church buildings, did not appear architecturally until the 12th century, and so the Pantheon style was architecturally considered as the genuine or real church type. Fourth Church would provide visitors a very true picture of the original Christian temple. Here one can walk through the porticoed entrances just the same as did Paul of the Bible. Around the time he wrote his architectural historiology, Robert Riker was walking through that 2nd century style church portico regularly after parking his Harley-Davidson motorcycle. Reichert was well-known around Seattle for his motorcycle and his biker outfit. He wore black leather boots and jacket, ripped denim jeans, and a cap pulled so low you could barely see his eyes. He had such an unusual tough and cool look that it was easy to assume as Seattle Times columnist Eric Lissitis did before interviewing him in 1979, that Reichert was a high school dropout thug who had never given up the wildlife. He looked like he could have been Marlon Brando's sidekick in The Wild One, the classic movie about bikers, Lissitis wrote. But when Reichert arrived at his destination, he changed into a business suit. Reichert was, though, in fact, a wild one. He did his rule-breaking and hell-raising as an outspoken avant-garde architect. As architecture historian Jeffrey Murdoch explained, Reichert believed that the creation of architecture was a spiritual, artistic process and he rebelled against the rationalist architectural trends of the mid-20th century. Reichert created provocative residential designs using triangular and trapezoidal shapes that would still look far ahead of their time, even decades later. Eventually, he would be recognized by modern architecture enthusiasts as an independent visionary but his unusual designs, especially his own residence in Queen Anne, were not always appreciated by neighbors. Reichert knew something about what it meant to go against norms and traditions. I paid for it, he later shared. People would dump garbage on my driveway. Nice people would curse. Perhaps this made him all the more appreciative of the controversy and hostility Mary Baker Eddy faced at times in her career. Besides his appreciation of its architecture, Reichert also loved the Fourth Church organ. He was at times the organist for Fourth Church. Reichert was a long-time church member, a dedicated Christian scientist. I religiously don't believe in age, Reichert would explain in an interview for the Seattle Times. He would ride his Harley and wear his biker outfit for many decades. This iconoclast artist had fully embraced the practice of timeless thinking that Mary Baker Eddy encouraged. Radical thinking would be encouraged in the children who would soon attend Christian Science Sunday School within the fourth church walls, actively under construction on Reformation Sunday in 1922. The church officers present for the October 29th Cornerstone service could only walk through the second-century-style portico that day in their imagination since construction of the planned columns was still months away. Perhaps those officers also, at least momentarily, considered the many generations of people of every type and background that would walk through the doors of this church long into the future. Perhaps they also wondered how long it would be before Mary Baker Eddy's Reformation would be recognized universally. I love the Orthodox Church, Eddie had written, and in time that church will love Christian science. Words well known by all the members of the Fourth Church Building Committee. The cornerstone was placed to the right of the portico, near the farthest right door, where members would enter the buildings at times other than for church services. The location for the cornerstone was a last-minute design change by Mr. Dunham. The granite block, with its simple engraving, Fourth Church of Christ Scientist, A.D. 1922, would quietly offer a reminder of their grand cause each time they entered the building. Construction on the walls on the 8th Avenue and Seneca Street sides of the building Began the day after the ceremony. To get to this point in the construction, the building committee had passed through the heat of a furnace fiasco. The original heater installed in the basement for the first unit had proved to be inadequate, even for heating only the Sunday school level. For the second unit, the heating system was completely redesigned by another specialist. However, the committee realized that even the new improved furnace would be woefully inadequate for heating the entire building. A fog of doubt and misunderstanding enveloped the astounded building team. When confronted with the issue at a committee meeting, Dunham was at a loss to explain how his recommended specialist, who was supposedly the best heating engineer west of the Mississippi, could have made such fundamental errors in calculations. It was going to cost an extra eight to $12,000 to make the needed changes. It was yet another unexpected expense. The total estimated cost for the construction project had risen to $200,000 by the time the cornerstone was laid. Now they needed to raise $38,000 quickly so they could get another loan for $75,000. This was in addition to the $8,000 that Miss Jessie Estep was willing to loan the church. This meant writing, another letter about financial needs to be read to the congregation at services. In early November, Neil McDonald's crew, weather permitting, would begin pouring the concrete for the auditorium floor, a 10-day effort. Ideally, the building committee would have already made the decision on the pipe organ so the right type of blower duct could be framed into the right place before the concrete was poured. The selection of the organ was clearly an important one to the committee, but they had not yet had time to research the options. They immediately started the process. They were able to have sales representatives from several organ companies make site visits to the church so that the committee would at least be aware of possible installation issues before the concrete pour was done. They also put out requests for advice from trusted sources, including local organists. Then an unexpected issue arose mid-November that put new pressure on everyone involved with the construction project. Urgent action was needed. The managers of the Wilkes Theater building, where Fourth Church had been holding its services, had ordered the Christian scientists to vacate the building Negotiations were underway to convert the 5th and Pine building to a retail department store, and they wanted 4th Church out by November 20th. McDonald promised to rush the work of getting the basement level ready for use again as a temporary auditorium. Work was completed just in time for services there on November 26th. Fourth Church advertised their return to 8th and Seneca with a removal notice in the Seattle Times. For the first couple of weeks, including the special Thanksgiving Day service on November 30th, church attendees had to walk through the recently delivered stacks of terracotta tiles to get to the door. On December 18th, the building committee had a meeting with the board and Mr. Macdonald. They had already heard sales presentations from three organ vendors. They had already received letters of recommendations from trusted organ owners. As a final step, they heard reports from two expert consultants. Then they voted by ballot. Eight out of the 12 agreed with the findings of organist John Hamilton Howe that the Austin Organs Company, located in Hartford, Connecticut, and represented in Seattle by Charles J. Whitaker, offered the most in the way of a church organ. They had been very impressed with the Austin presentation. Obviously, Mr. Whitaker knows organs, Clerk Paul J. Jensen commented. There were still so many decisions to make, and there was so much to do. They hoped to have the second unit ready by the end of the summer. In light of that goal, nearly everything was both important and urgent. There was never a dull weekly meeting for the fourth church building committee. But even with so much still to do, this building committee took two weeks off in recognition of Christmas. Thanks for listening to Dedication by me, Cindy Safranoff. All events and characters in this story are as true and accurate as the available sources. All opinions are mine. To support and learn more about this groundbreaking research project and read my writing, visit cindysafranoff.com.